thrilled to be here. Thank you for joining me every Sunday morning at 11 here on 88.7 FM WLUW. Got an hour uninterrupted of your favorite small town kid. Go to the Loyola Phoenix, Nick Schultz. I know Sister Jean pretty well. I think he's the sports editor. There. He is. Right. He's a sports editor. Yeah. Sports good, columnist, sports writer. And, uh, and there's a, there's... I'd be lying if I said I wasn't watching baseball in class. Nick Schultz, who is a, a rising star in the profession. Our guy, Nick Schultz, covers oil for the student newspaper there, the Loyola Phoenix. I have to keep pinching myself <laughs> and asking if this is real. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm a poor, starving college student, so I would say I was physically here, but I wouldn't say I was mentally here. Hello and welcome into the Sunday Sports Shootout here on 88.7 WLUW. I'm your host, Nick Schultz. Again, we're a little, I'm a little late today because I had a couple technical difficulties getting into the system and everything doing this remote. But I'm glad to be back after a two-week break. And I'm glad to be on the air today. We're going to go a little later than noon so I can get a full hour in here. So I'm looking forward to being with you all until a little afternoon on this Sunday. And again, it's been two weeks since I've been on the air. I went on vacation two weeks ago. I was at Michigan, didn't have a lot of internet. It was a great weekend with the family at the lake. And then last weekend, I moved out of my apartment in Chicago. And I'm now living full-time in my hometown of Dwight, Illinois. And that's where I'm broadcasting from today, is my dad's office. Because this is, I guess, my makeshift studio here in my house. And it's still, I'm still getting used to this, so you've got to bear with me a little bit. But... Regardless, we actually have sports to talk about, which is so weird because we haven't had sports for four months, at least the big four sports in Chicago, baseball, football, hockey, basketball. But baseball came back this week. The Cubs and Sox started on Friday. That was opening day. Opening day for Major League Baseball was Thursday with Yankees and Nationals. But the Cubs and Sox opened on Friday, and it was so great to watch live baseball that was actually meaningful baseball. And most of us in the area got to watch the Cubs game because Marquis struck a deal with Comcast. And I'll talk a little bit more about how I watched that game in a little bit. I promise it was completely legal, just making sure that's out there. It was legal how I did it. I also want to talk about a big commitment, two big commitments actually, to the Loyola men's basketball team because we are Loyola's student radio station and I did cover the Ramblers for four years. So I'm going to talk about what commits Loyola got this week. Local commits, too. They didn't go out of state. They didn't go out of the area. And also, Southern Illinois got a couple really big commits as well. And I'll talk about that. Basketball comes back this week. The NBA bubble in Orlando. They will not have the Bulls, but I do have some Bulls thoughts that I'll get to as well. Hockey comes back, too. The Blackhawks play the Oilers August 1st in the start of a three-game series. And it's going to be so much fun watching sports again. Can you tell I'm excited? I'm trying to, I'm really trying to contain my excitement a little bit because I've been watching a lot of How I Met Your Mother reruns and Friends reruns in place of sports. But now I have sports to watch, and I'm like a kid in a candy store right now. I obviously can't take calls because I'm broadcasting remote. We don't have access to the phone system. But if you have any thoughts at all on anything that I mentioned, or if you want to chime in, shoot me a tweet. I'm on Twitter at Nick Schultz underscore seven, and I have my Twitter up in front of me as we speak, and I promise if you send me a tweet, I will read it on the air, assuming it's not a ridiculous a, a ridiculous take, you're using good language, etc., etc. 
Let's start with baseball, because I don't want to bury the lead here. Baseball is back. The Cubs and Sox are back. Both teams played in Chicago this weekend. They're actually playing in the same division this year, which is going to be an adjustment. We have more Cubs-Sox than we thought we would. I'm not saying that's a bad thing by any means, but it means we're going to see a lot more on Twitter of Cubs and Sox, because both teams have a lot of hype this year, and in different ways. It's a very different hype, I feel like. The Cubs, their window of opportunity is closing. They've got a new manager in David Ross, and they've still got most of the pieces from the 2016 team, and the White Sox are young. They've got a lot of talent, and they're going to be really, really fun to watch this year. And obviously, they got off to a rough start on opening day with Lucas Giolito pitching. And I'm going to dive more into that in a little bit. I want to start with the Cubs, though. Because Kyle Hendricks threw an absolute gem on opening day. He threw a three-hit shutout on 103 pitches. And all three hits were by Orlando Arcia, the nine-hitter for the Milwaukee Brewers. It was, a, it was awesome. And as I teased in my open here... Most people in the Chicago area got to watch that game because Marquis struck a deal with Comcast. But if you're like me and you have YouTube TV, you can't watch Marquis. You don't have the Marquis network. You get NBC Sports Chicago, you can watch all the White Sox stuff you want, and I did. But you don't have the Marquis network. So I watched this game by signing up for a Hulu Live free trial because they give you a seven-day trial. And... I'm like, you know what, I can probably do that on opening day. I can, I can swing a free trial. And I got to watch opening day at my house in Dwight. It was great. And I mean, Marquis, it's a, it, it looks like they do good work. They put on a great broadcast. I'm not surprised. But it's the first time I ever got to watch the Marquis Network at, at my house. I got to watch it at the bar a couple times. But other than that, I've never been able to watch it on my own TV. So that was great. That's that's why I said it is legal what I did to watch the Cubs game. But I don't know if it's necessarily uh, common practice. If it's I think it's acceptable to do that because I'm I'm a I'm a poor college graduate. I know my show open still says I'm a poor starving college student, but I'm graduated now, so I got to take advantage of the free trials, right? And I did that to watch Kyle Hendricks just spin a gem. It was really really great watching him. I thought he was gonna. Pull a Maddox on opening day. And those of you who don't know what a Maddox is, a Maddox is a complete game with less than 100 pitches. And it's named after, you guessed it, Greg Maddox. Because Greg Maddox used to do that all the time. And there are a lot of comparisons between Kyle Hendricks and Greg Maddox because neither one throws hard. They can hit their spots. They've got nasty stuff. And they can they work quick. I mean, that Cubs game on Friday night, it was over in a blink, it felt like. Then Saturday's game took three and a half hours, but that's Kyle Hendricks. I also, I really, really like Chris Bryant at leadoff, and I know he went 0 for 4 on opening day. I get that. Like, that's not great. You want your leadoff hitter to get on base. You want your leadoff hitter to get some hits, be a spark. But Chris Bryant's a different kind of spark at the top of the order because he made the pitcher work. He saw an average of seven pitches per at-bat on opening day. And on his first at-bat, he just kept fouling them off. And it was a great at-bat. I even said to my dad, I'm like, this is, this is awesome. And I know the Cubs haven't had a solid leadoff hitter since 2016 in Dexter Fowler. That's been a big knock on the Cubs since the World Series win. 
was that they didn't have a leadoff hitter. Well, I think they have one now in Chris Bryant. And he's not your prototypical leadoff hitter. He's not your your speedy guy. Your, he's not going to drop a bunt to get on base. No, he he can hit. He can he hit. He can hit for power. He can get on base by walking. He works the count. He can make the pitcher throw a lot of pitches. So it's a different kind of leadoff hitter that I wasn't really sure about at first. I'm not going to lie. But given the couple game sample size here, I kind of like it. It'd be, now, it'd be nice if he gets on base a little more, obviously. But if he can keep working the count, that's a good trade-off. I'd rather have him work the count and not get on base than not work the count and not get on base. So Chris Bryant's been a bright spot to start the year. Jason Hayward's struggling again. And people are already knocking him on Twitter. Oh, if he's going to be a hole in the lineup, why not put him in the ninth spot? Because the DH is across the league this year, and pitchers don't bat. And I think it's a couple games in. Give him a minute. I'm not ready to jump off the Jason Hayward train just yet. But I, I think he can come around. I know they're paying him a lot of money, and he hasn't really performed. But I really do think he can be a good spot in the lineup. And a little little overreaction here. I've seen it on Twitter, and I want to chime in on it. So David Ross left Kyle Hendricks in in the ninth inning. It was a really that was a that was a, a good test for him in that ninth inning on opening day when Hendricks was at ninety some. I think he was at ninety eight, ninety nine pitches, and he had he was going to give him one more batter, at two outs in the ninth. Kimber warming up in the bullpen. Now let's take it back to last year. Let's pretend we're in twenty nineteen. Joe Madden's the manager. I can I would bet all the money in my pocket, which I guess is all of... I got a nickel and maybe a quarter. But I would bet all the money in my pockets that Joe Madden would have pulled Kyle Hendricks before that ninth inning. And I, if you, if you disagree with me, let me know. But I don't think you will. Because that's how Joe Madden managed. He didn't... Not a lot of complete games. And he especially didn't really trust Kyle Hendricks that much, I felt like. I go back to Game 7 of the World Series when Hendricks was cruising, gave up one hit, and Madden brought in John Lester. Obviously, they won the game, but I digress. Now, you have David Ross's manager. He goes out there, experienced catcher, experienced backup catcher. He knows what to look for in a pitcher when he's struggling. And he goes out there, and you're thinking, either he's going to wave to the bullpen, or he's just going to talk to him, give him one more batter. And you watch, they're, they're huddled up, and... You look in and you see you can see Hendricks' mouth. I want one more, one more. And Rossi left him in, and it was a really good move because he trusted Kyle Hendricks, who he picked as his opening day starter over his pal John Lester, was actually the number four pitcher in the rotation. And he left Hendricks in for that one last batter, and he got the grounder to short. It was one of the smartest things I'd seen from a Cubs manager in a while because again. Joe Madden didn't really know how to manage pitchers. Now, I know people would have said, oh, you can stop it. He didn't know how to manage. Well, I think he was a good manager, obviously. I mean, the guy won a World Series in 16. But he definitely had his quirks with the pitchers. And he didn't, I still, I still say he didn't trust Hendricks that much. And it was Michael O'Brien at the Sometimes, the high school sports editor over there, tweeted when uh, Rossi announced that Hendricks was the opening day starter. He said, Finally, a Cubs manager who realizes who the best pitcher is on the team. And I retweeted it, and I said, eh, that's about right, because Hendricks is the best pitcher on the Cubs right now. John Lester struggled last year. I still don't entirely trust Tyler Chatwood. I still don't entirely trust you, Darvish, especially after his performance yesterday. 
Jose Quintana still coming back from cutting his thumb doing dishes, which if if my mom's listening, she probably is. Now you know why I don't do dishes because that can happen. And I, so Alec Mills is in the rotation. I I'm not sold on him. I'm not I'm not on the hype train with Alec Mills. I don't think he's bad. I don't think he's great. He can fill in well, but the pitching staff is a question mark. And don't even get me started on the bullpen because the bullpen struggled big time yesterday. And I, I actually, so my brother and I, we, we were bored yesterday. We, I mean, we're, we're, always, we're always bored anymore. This quarantine, is we, we've been bored because there's nothing to do around here. And we like having stuff to do. So we said, hey, let's go to Duncan. It's a 20-minute drive to Duncan, by the way. So we went there and back. We were there, there and back in an hour. And I was keeping tabs on my phone. I did not watch most of the game yesterday. But I did see when Dwayne Underwood came in. And gave up some runs, and the bullpen imploded because the the bullpen is the biggest question mark on the Cubs this year. I know you, Darvish, struggled. It wasn't a good. My dad asked me, "Are you going to get good you or bad you?" And I told him, "I'll tell you after the third batter of the game." Because if Darvish Darvish usually gets the first two batters of the game, boom, boom, and whatever happens with that third batter will determine which you, Darvish, you get. And I don't have any numbers to back that up. That's just from the eye test, because I don't, I don't have the sabermetric stuff in front of me right now. But I can tell you from experience, if Darvish gets that third out in the first inning, one, two, three, he's probably going to be on that day. If he gives up a walk, a base hit, then I'm going to have questions. And that's exactly what happened. He gave it, The next guy got on base, and then they had two runners on, and then the Brewers scored a run, and... I said, we're not getting good Darvish today. You're getting, I, I make this reference all the time. I'm a big West Wing fan. Everyone knows the West Wing. You know the two personalities, Dr. Jekyll and Uncle Fluffy. You got Uncle Fluffy Darvish yesterday. You didn't get Dr. Jekyll yesterday. So I'm still not sold on you, Darvish, yet. I think he can come around. He did last year. Obviously, he was a second-half pitcher last year, and there wasn't a first half this year. It's a 60-game season, so he's got to find it quick. But... First, first impression to this year, not great. You know what also wasn't great was the White Sox performance on opening day. They played, they played the Twins. The Twins hit a lot of home runs. They led the league. I think they set a record last year for the amount of home runs. Granted, it was a juice ball, but I'm not going to get started on that tangent right now. But Lucas Giolito was the opening day starter for the Sox, and he earned it. I was really happy when I saw Giolito start an opening day. And the Twins lit him up, scored four runs in the first inning. And then the second inning, it was 5-5. Five five. Now keep in mind, the over-under for this game was 9. So I, I learned an important lesson from the White Sox on opening day. If anyone is into sports betting, which is legal now, you can bet on sports in Illinois. If you are betting the White Sox, this is my expert opinion from Opening day. Take the over. Do not take the under on White Sox games. I would. That's my big suggestion because that they scored ten runs in two winnings on opening day, and yesterday they blew the over as well. Or they they blew the under and nailed the over. So that's just a little side note here. Because this offense is powerful. This is a great lineup that Ricky Renneria has got to work with. And I will even pull up today's lineup for today is Sunday, July 26th. And we'll see, let's see what the Sox are coming out with today. Because they've got a lot of firepower. 
they actually had to make a change to the lineup. So at the top, you got Tim Anderson, Nicky Delmonico, who's back from multiple injuries and looks strong. Jose Abreu, Yasmani Grandal, Edwin Encarnacion at the DH, Eloy Jimenez in left field, Luis Robert in center, Danny Mendick at third base, Leury Garcia at second base, and Bernardo Lopez is pitching. Now, that's not the opening day lineup, because Yohan Moncada is not in that lineup, but Yohan Moncada looks great. He looks awesome. Now, he's coming back off, he tested positive for COVID-19 and had symptoms, so he's coming back from that. Wouldn't have known he was out with how he played this weekend. He went three for five on opening day. And he hit, he hit an, a monster home run, and his helmet almost flew off. It was, it was great. So Danny Mendick's in there for him today. So throw out, throw out Danny Mendick, throw in Yoan Moncada. That is a dangerous lineup. And Tim Anderson, obviously batting champ last year, batted over 300, improved his batting average by almost 100 points. Nicky Delmonico, yeah, he's coming back off injury, but he looks really good. Jose Abreu, enough said. Yasmani Grandal, enough said. Edwin Encarnacion, enough said. Eloy Jimenez, wow. Luis Roberts, a double machine. And like I said, take out Mendic, put in Yohan Moncada, yeah, double the home runs. And Larry Garcia, I said from the beginning of the year, was going to be the hole in the lineup, quote-unquote. And then he goes and hits two home runs yesterday and proves me wrong. So I take back anything bad I said about Larry Garcia. Because he impressed me yesterday. And this shows you how... He was the nine hitter and hit two home runs yesterday. This is a packed lineup. And I'm really excited to see what they do. Now, let's get back to Giolito's performance on opening day. Because Dallas Keuchel was great yesterday. In game two. But Giolito's performance on opening day. He struggled big. Like I said, he gave up four runs in the first inning. And I'm pulling up the stat line now. And he got kind of he got kind of lit up. Actually, no, he didn't get kind of lit up. He did get lit up. And he didn't... I don't think he made it through four innings, if I remember. We were bouncing back and forth between the Cubs game and the Sox game. Because we watched both, we watched both teams. We were bouncing back and forth. So that's why it's all kind of blending together for me. But his performance was not ideal. And I was watching Sox pregame yesterday. Actually, I saw it on Twitter. It was on NBC Sports Chicago, who, by the way, just unveiled a beautiful new set. Shout out to my guys over there, because I interned there last year. When I was wrapping up my internship, they were starting to tear apart the old set. And they've got the new one up now, and it is beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. And Ozzy Gian, is on the pregame postgame shows over there. Which he he's a character. I met Ozzy once. I love him. And he brought up a debate. So Ricky Renneria started Yasmani Grandal on opening day. Now, he's probably the biggest free agent signing of the offseason. Next to Encarnacion, I'd say. I'd say the two of them. But he started James McCann game two. James McCann didn't catch opening day. Now let's go back to last year when Giolito was in talks for Cy Young, the all-star starter. He was having a great year. His catcher was James McCann, and he struggled on opening day with Yasmani Grandal. Here's Ozzie Guillen on what he would have done with the first two games of the season. I think this should be backwards. I should play McCain yesterday. McCain hit burials, four home runs, 10 RBIs, and 333 when Grandal is 0-4-2 against that. If they think about giving him a day off, 
Why Grandal not start again with Jolino's pitching? Jolino had to set with Grandal, uh, with, uh, with McCain behind the plate. You know what I mean? Every manager got a different way to think about it, but I think that was the best setup. Star McCann opening day, then today on Grandal. I don't know why they did the opposite. You know, I don't know why because I think uh, the, the success of your little half in the past, last year, obviously, it was McCann behind the plate. It's always the starting pitcher will dictate how you're going to play that day. And you know me, I know you want to get a, a Grandal day off. I know we pay him a lot of money, but. Is McCann and Jolito uh, combo help us last year? I don't know why they, you know, I will do it opposite. I will do it, Grandal behind the plate today, and Jolito and McCain will catch Jolito last night game because I know when you're a catcher, McCain needs to uh, get some at bats, and I know you, it's a day game after night game. But it wasn't me. If they're looking for numbers, for real numbers, and they're looking for uh, all the stuff, the, the computer thing, the computers are here. 333, four home runs, and 10 RBIs when he faced Berrios. That clip courtesy of NBCS, White Sox, White Sox Talk on Twitter. Again, shout out to my guys at NBC Sports Chicago. By the way, you're listening to the Sunday Sports Shootout here on 88.7 WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance. I'm Nick Schultz. If you want to chime in on the discussion at all, shoot me a tweet at Nick Schultz underscore 7. Or if we're friends on Facebook, go ahead and comment. Do whatever, but we cannot take calls. We gotta get creative because I'm doing this show remote. I'm doing this show from Dwight, Illinois. So that was Ozzie Guillen on White Sox pregame live on NBC Sports Chicago, and I didn't really think about that until he said it. I saw it on Twitter, and in thinking about it, there is a connection, obviously, pitcher to catcher. I know we may. I know John Lester has his quirks about throwing to first base. But he and David Ross, when they were together, like Rossi was Lester's personal catcher, they clicked. They just instant, they had that chemistry. They, it worked. Hugh Darvish has that now with Victor Caratini. Obviously, he struggled yesterday, yes. But I, I think there were a couple other factors in the game other than Hugh Darvish, but I'm not, that's neither here nor there. There was a bad rundown play, which I'm still upset about from fundamental baseball. But I digress. Darvish and Caratini worked really well in the second half last year. McCann and Giolito clicked last year. There was, there, was something, there was something there. Those two worked. Giolito and Grandal, it's new. He's, he's a new face. He's a new catcher back there. You change out the catcher, it's going to be different. There's a comfort level in your catcher when you're a pitcher. And I agree wholeheartedly with Ozzie Guillen that I would have started James McCann on opening day. I would have started Yasmani Grandal on game two. And Grandal's starting today. Like I said before, Grandal was the big free agent signing. I get that. And I know you want to start him on opening day. But if, you, if I'm Ricky Renteria, i got to think, okay, who is, who's Lucas most comfortable with? Who, Lucas last year had a lights-out year. His catcher was James McCann. People underestimate how important a catcher is to a good pitcher. Like when a pitcher throws a no-hitter or a perfect game, you know what they say? They think the catcher. Because there's, like I said, there's a connection between the pitcher and the catcher. When they're clicking, they're clicking. If something's off, it's not going to be good. My brother caught high school varsity baseball. Granted, it's high school. But the fundamental aspect is still the same in that there's a connection with your pitcher and catcher. He would always catch one kid who he needed to catch that one kid because he called he call the game how he wanted to and they 
they knew what they, they knew what each other was thinking. Grandal and Gialeo don't have that yet because spring training got interrupted and the season got interrupted because of COVID-19. And then we go out there on opening day and you see that. So I, I say again, Ozzy's 100% right. And when I saw that clip, that's exactly what I said. I'm like, he's right. He has a really, really good point. That's all I had on the baseball front. But again, if anyone wants to chime in on anything, baseball, Cubs, Sox, whatever, shoot me a tweet. But I'm going to move on to college basketball because it's always college basketball season. Come on. There's always college basketball stuff to talk about, especially on the recruiting trail. And Loyola and Southern Illinois are on, they're on a roll with recruiting so far during this offseason. And I wrote this blog post, which, in case you didn't know, I started a blog during this quarantine that's called Off the Inbound. Go ahead and give it a follow. I appreciate that. And feel free to comment on stuff, etc. Columns, news, whatever. It's anything I feel like writing about the Illinois college basketball teams from Evanston to Carbondale, Northwestern to Southern Illinois. And this week I wrote a column about Loyola and Southern Illinois taking the early lead in the Illinois recruiting race. Because they are. That's exactly what's happening. Loyola picked up two big commits this week from, I believe it's pronounced Ben Schweiger, Ben Schweiger? I think, I think it's Schweiger from Wabonzi Valley High School in Aurora. Local boy. And they also got a commit a couple days later from Ty Johnson from DePaul Prep. So that's two really good players. And Schweiger, obviously, he's ultra-athletic. He's a former volleyball player, which, enough said, he is your prototypical Porter Moser player, as I put it. And Johnson's just electric. He's a great scorer, and he'll fit in really well alongside Marquise Kennedy for the Ramblers. Southern Illinois, meanwhile, got a commitment from Foster Wonders out of Michigan, Scotty Ibube from Mundelein, and probably the biggest steal of the offseason at the mid-major level is Troy D'Amico out of Nile, Notre Dame. And he was going to be recruited by high majors, probably, if he didn't commit. And he ended up going to Carbondale. He's going to go to Carbondale next year for Southern Illinois and Brian Mullins. And as I write in this column, it's no surprise that the two coaches in the lead in recruiting are Porter Moser and Brian Mullins because Mullins was Porter Moser's recruiting coordinator at Loyola Chicago before Mullins took the job in Carbondale. When those two were recruiting together, they picked up some pretty big names. Let me, let, me, let me give you some examples. Maybe you've heard of Clayton Custer, Marcus Towns, Andre Jackson, Cam Crowley, Lucas Williamson, Cooper Capus, Marquise Kennedy. Yeah, they were pretty good. Porter's a great recruiter on his own. But you had Mullins in there and his connections to AAU and the Illinois Wolves because that's what his dad coaches. They were a two-headed monster in recruiting. You don't have any of those names without Brian Mullins. Now he's down now at Southern Illinois. He's recruiting these big names. He's got D'Amico, Wonders, Abube. He got Marcus Domask last year, who nobody had really heard of. He goes on to be the MVC newcomer and freshman of the year. And they're absolutely on a roll. I'm calling it the Illinois recruiting arms race. Because these two teams are out front everybody in the Missouri Valley right now. Now, Southern Illinois filled up all their spots for the class of 2021, but Loyola still has three, uh, two left, I'm sorry, 
two scholarships left to get the class of 21. And obviously, more spots will probably open down the road due to transfers. It's about an average of two transfers per year in NCAA basketball. But right now, Southern Illinois has all their spots filled. Loyola has all their spots filled. I'm sorry, Loyola has two scholarships left because they're losing their starting lineup this year. Well, everyone from last year's starting lineup is going to graduate. Keith Clemens, Tate Hall, Cameron Crutwig, Lucas Williamson, and Ahir Uwak are all going to graduate this year. So that's a huge loss. Now, Loyola is my favorite to win the Valley this year. And it's, it's close with Northern, with Northern Iowa. But I'm taking Loyola to win the Valley. After this year... I'm not so sure, but that's why I argue that these two commits Loyola got are going to be instant impact when they get there because they've got to fill the shoes of Williamson, of Crutwig, of Hall, of Clemens, of Uwak. They've got to fill those shoes somehow. And Marquise Kennedy's still going to be around. So he's going to probably step into a leadership role and help these two get even better. So Loyola and Southern Illinois are the two teams to watch on the recruiting trail because recruiting's still going. Again, you can read my full thoughts on this at my blog, offtheinbound.com. Or you can follow it on Twitter at offtheinbound, or you can just follow me on Twitter, because I like to think I'm a fun follow. I mean, I tweet a lot about sports, obviously, but I like, I, I'm kind of funny, I think. I think I'm funny, at least. My family might disagree, because they've been putting up with me for four months. But feel free to shoot, to shoot me a follow if you got any story ideas or anything. Hit me up, because it's just me running this blog, because I'm literally getting so bored that I want to write more. And I'm still looking for a job, so holler at your boy if you uh, need, need, need someone to work for you, because uh, I could use the work. <laughs> Sorry, shameless plug. But that is really all I had on college basketball. we move on to the NBA, which comes back this week, July 30th. The NBA starts back up. July 30th and 31st are the first two days of the NBA restart. Hey, my birthday is July 31st. That's going to be a good birthday present. I'm turning 22, so I might go to the bars all day and watch basketball. We'll see. But you know who's not in the bubble? The one and only Chicago Bulls. That said, <laughs> the Bulls are still finding ways to make you mad. Even with the new regime, Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley are running the show now. Dark Foreman and John Paxson are gone. And these two are now running the show. And it's looking like it's going to be a fresh start. It's going to be completely fresh. Everything's going to be new. Everything's going to be better. We're going to love the Bulls again. The Bulls are going to be good again. I'm getting so excited about a Bulls season. I haven't been this excited about a Bulls season since Derrick Rose was around, to give you an idea. But they're finding ways to make me mad, because it's really easy to make me mad anymore. Luckily, I had my coffee, so I'm not too mad today. But when I see Jim Boylan is still the coach of the Bulls, and when I see that Jim Boylan might stay the coach of the Bulls, that makes me angry, because I don't want Jim Boylan to coach the Bulls. I don't want him to coach the Bulls anymore. I want some anybody else. I wanted Tom Thibodeau back, but he signed a five-year deal to coach the Knicks, reported by Adrian Wojnarowski, who's back from suspension, by the way. He was suspended for a couple weeks because he used a word I can't say on the air when emailing a U.S. senator. So Woj is back. He came back with a bang. Tibbs to New York, five-year deal. I wanted Tibbs to come back to the Bulls. I know he's I know he's hard on him. I know he made... He, Makes players play a lot of minutes. I get it. But he's a great coach. And the most success the Bulls have had in my lifetime. My 21, almost 22 years on this earth. Because to give you an idea, I was born July 98. The sixth Jordan title was June of 98. 
So that tells you I've lived through some <laughs> some very dark days of Bulls basketball. But the best days of Bulls basketball is when Tibbs was coaching the Bulls. And I wanted him to come back and coach the Bulls again because he's a winner. I value winning. And I know Arturis Karnaschovas does too because he's set. Same thing with Mark Eversley. They value winners. And Tibbs is a winner. And I wanted him to come back to United Center and coach now that Garform is gone. I know he and John Paxson didn't have the best relationship and Paxson is still around in an advisory role. But I wanted him to come back. It would have jazzed up the fan base that much more. But now he's going to New York, and I'm hearing rumors, and I know the New York Post has reported it as well, that the Bulls might be standing pat with Jim Boylan as their coach. And I don't know how I feel about that. I really don't. Because I really don't think the guy knows how to coach a growing team. And I'm reading from, especially, I know Joe Cowley in the Sun-Times is all over the stuff, and he's reported that, Boylan might not be staying the coach. And I'm hearing I'm hearing him say Boylan thinks he's still going to be the coach. He's confident he's still going to be around. And he's not going to be around. And it's all so confusing. And it's especially amplified because there's no games going on right now. You got some scrimmages going on, but real games don't start until Thursday in the bowl. And the Bulls aren't in it, so they're working out at the Advocate Center. There was rumor of a second bubble in Chicago... And my knee-jerk reaction was, I do not want to see the Bulls play another game this season. Because I don't want to see this team from this past year on the court together again. I think they, I seriously think they need to just blow it up. Start over. You got your core. Keep Kobe White around, who has bulked up, by the way. He's put on some muscle. Maybe I think keep Zach Levine. Because I know rumors are flying that... Teams are doing their due diligence that Zach Levine might get traded or might request a trade or demand a trade, whatever. But I'd try and keep him because he's a centerpiece. I think Lowry Markkinen can take a leap forward with the proper coaching because Lowry is not a Jim Boylan player. Jim Boylan does not know how to use Lowry Markkinen. Say what you want about Fred Hoiberg, but he knew how to use Lowry Markkinen. Lowry has struggled so much under Boylan. I think that's a red flag right there is, that, is how much Lowry has suffered. Stats-wise, under Boylan. And I just, I don't want him back. I'm not one to call for a coach to be fired. I really, I've said, that, I've said this on the show many a time. I, oh, I usually try to find the bright spots. People were criticizing Joel Madden with the Cubs. I tried to find the bright spots. People criticized Ricky Renteria with the White Sox. I try to find the bright spots. Same thing with... Jeremy Colton, I, I try to with the Blackhawks. I really do. So, hockey's not my strong suit, so I'm kind of looking at wins and losses. That one's also a little tough. I don't think, I'm, I don't think I'll call for his firing, but I, I, I think he's got a lot of room to grow. The big one that I've defended is Matt Nagy. I know a lot of people were not happy with Matt Nagy last year, and especially not happy with Mitchell Trubisky, who I still think there's an upside to, but I'm, I'm going to save that for later. i got a little bit of football talk to mix in here. But I defended Matt Nagy. And I will defend Matt Nagy because I still think he's a good coach. The only coach in town I will not defend is Jim Boylan. And I, I don't know if it's the cliches in the press conference. I don't know if it's the, con the doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. I don't know if it's the misuse of Lowry Markkinen and Zach Levine, if it's the late timeouts. 
Maybe it's a combination of all of them now that I'm listing them out loud. But when I hear that he might be coming back as coach, I don't like that. <laughs> as, I mean, I'm looking at it from a fan perspective here. And I know Casey Johnson over at NBC Sports Chicago said the Bulls are doing the right thing playing the long game with Boylan. I mean, I, I get it. Because you got two fresh guys from outside of the organization in Karnaschovas and Eversley. They come in and they... AK's even said he doesn't want to come in and just wipe everything clean. He has said that. Granted, he's already overhauled the front office, which is a great start. But it's tough for him because he was hired over Zoom. He didn't get to see the team in person that much because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And... He's kind of taking it slow because there's no real urgency. The Bulls aren't going to play another game this year. Might, they're probably not going to play another game until December, maybe January. Meaningful game until then, I should say. They might play a couple scrimmages, I think. But if I'm Arturis Karnaschotis, I'm also playing the long game. Because you don't want to be that GM, that, that vice president of basketball ops, and come in and just clean house right away. He's doing it the right way because he doesn't want to jeopardize any relationships, which I get. And Casey brought this up in his column at NBC Sports Chicago. He he said they're playing the long game. It's the right thing to do. You don't want to you don't want to come in and make a knee jerk reaction. Take your time. See the whole board. Play. See the whole course. See what's going on before you make a decision. But when I hear that belief around the NBA is that the Bulls are talking about keeping Jim Boylan as coach, that rubs me the wrong way. And there's a difference between playing the long game. And the rest of the NBA believing he's going to stick around, because playing the long game just means okay, you want to see him, you want to see him coach, you want to talk to him about his philosophies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. People around the league believing you're going to keep him as coach means people honestly think that he's not going anywhere. And I don't think that's good for this young team. I mean, the Bulls are a young team. You've heard Boylan say it numerous times. Trust me, they're a young team. We know. But I don't think he's the right guy to coach this young team. You need someone who can develop Kobe White. And I, I'll admit, I was on the side of keeping Kobe White on the bench instead of starting him. I was wrong. And when he put him in the starting lineup, I was like, okay, you know what? He's actually doing really well in the starting lineup. So I was wrong on that one. I actually agreed with Boylan. It was weird. Uh, but now that Kobe's in the lineup, okay, he needs to take a step forward. He's not a point guard. And that's the other That's the other thing with Jim Boylan is he's coaching a team without a point guard. And, you, yeah, Kobe White could be a point guard. He's not a true point guard. You need, and I know I know Daryl Horowitz, who's coached the show, if he's listening, he's going to... He's going to jump out of his chair when I say they need a Trey Young. They need someone who can run the point. And that's why he'd come with a lot of, he'd come with a lot of baggage. It'd, be, it'd light up Chicago social media because of his dad. But I think the Bulls should really look at LaMelo Ball if they get a good pick in the lottery. Which is coming up, I believe, August 20th? That's, I think that's the lottery date. It's somewhere in August. But I really I think they should look at LaMelo Ball or at least the best available. And go get a point guard. I, I don't think Tomas Sadoransky is the answer. He, he was kind of underwhelming this past year. 
and turned into kind of a role player in a way. But I, I think the Bulls need to seriously look at getting a point guard or at least get someone who can who can shoot to the point where you don't need a true point guard. I know that's like the basketball traditionalist in me is screaming when I say that. But if you if you can get a guy who can shoot lights out and you don't need a true point guard, then things could be different. And that's where Anthony Edwards comes in from Georgia. He's a lights out shooter. If he's available, you gotta go get him. As much as I want a point guard, you gotta go with Anthony Edwards. Because then you have him, Kobe, and Zach as your three guards. And I think that could work. And it wouldn't be traditional basketball, it'd be positionless basketball, it'd be the type of basketball that I really don't like that much. But it would work. And as long as it works and they have a coach who's willing to work with it, you need someone who thinks who who thinks new school instead of old school. As much as I don't like Steve Kerr, his philosophy with the Warriors, I mean, it, it works. You get all oh, you need are shooters. And I know Steph's a, he, Steph's a true point guard, too, but he can shoot lights out. I think you can really make a strong case that the Bulls can draft Anthony Edwards or someone similar and not need a true point guard. It's radical, but I think it could work with the proper coaching. And this picture is going to get a lot clearer after the lottery. Once the lottery comes in, the Bulls probably will get the number seven pick again. They have the seven best odds in the lottery for the number one pick. They're probably going to end up with the seventh pick again. I'm mentally preparing myself for that disappointment. Because I remember watching the lottery last year when Zion Williamson would have been the number one pick. And they got the seventh pick. And I had never seen my parents get that upset about the Bulls. Probably ever. I don't think I'd seen them get that mad about the Bulls ever. And granted, I was raging. And I did watch my mouth because my mom was in the room. But I was not very happy to see the Bulls got the seventh pick again. Yeah, that, that was the second, third year in a row. And this year, they're probably going to end up doing the same thing. Which means LaMelo Ball will probably be off the board, and Anthony Edwards will probably be off the board. And then, at that point, you're just going to go for the best available, and it's not going to be a point guard, and I'm going to be disappointed. And I'm going to be sitting here, into my microphone, upset about it. Because I've seen this movie before. And I don't like the ending. And I especially don't like the ending if there's not a coaching change to go with it. That's the big. That's the biggest thing. I'm glad they're taking. I'm glad they're taking it slow and doing this the right way. But don't lead him on to the point where you, you think he's going to stick around. And it's easier now. They're out, the Bulls posted pictures from the Advocate Center. They're back working out, so that's a good sign. And there's probably not going to be a second bubble. So I think Karnas Jobis is going to finally get a really good look at this Bulls team and see what he's working with. And I know Boylan has support from the organization as well. I know John Paxson's a big fan, obviously. I've heard Michael Reinsdorf's a big fan also. We'll see what happens. If if Karnaschovas and Eversley have full authority over basketball operations like they were like they were told when they were hired, a big step to prove that will be getting rid of Jim Boylan. But we'll see. My top choice is off the board because Tibbs is going to New York. And the jokes on Twitter about it 
were hilarious. I would highly recommend checking out some of the Tom Thibodeau jokes about R.J. Barrett and everybody in New York with Tibbs coming in. They were, it's really funny. Moving on to hockey. The Hawks are in the playoffs. Which is a sentence I never thought I'd say. I did not think they were going to be in the playoffs this year. But with the way the NHL structured the, the restart, they were the last team in. And that means they play the Edmonton Oilers this weekend. And it's not going to be great, I don't think. I honestly think the, the Hawks are going to struggle. I don't, I don't think they're going to win. This, they're not going to win the series. I don't know if they'll win a game. I don't see any odds out, betting odds out for that series yet, but I have a feeling the Oilers are going to be heavy favorites, as they should be. But it's going to be good to see some, ho- some hockey. It, I'm excited to watch hockey again, because I love hockey. It's not my, it, of the four big sports in town, it's the one I know the least, but I, it's, I'm not saying I don't know the game. I'll watch it. Now that Corey Crawford's back in goal after he tested positive for COVID-19 and had symptoms, I feel a little bit better now that he's back. But other than that, I'm not really sure how this this series is going to go. Because the Oilers are good, and the Blackhawks aren't great. They're good enough to make the playoffs, if you're into if you're into the whole asterisk thing, you can put an asterisk next to it. But uh, it's going to be very interesting to watch this weekend when the, when the Hawks are in the playoffs again. August first is that first game. I personally think they're not going to get anywhere. But hey, there's a t- there's a playoff team in town in the Blackhawks. There's also a playoff team in town. In the NWSL with the Chicago Red Stars, who are playing as we speak, and they're down one nil right now in the NWSL championship against the Houston Dash. They're about maybe ten minutes into that one, but that's something to keep an eye on. WNBA starting up today as well as Chicago Sky are playing. Starting to get more into all the sports in town. The Red Stars are actually pretty good. I mean, obviously they're in the NWSL championship again, so that means they're good. And the Sky were the Sky should have been, they should have gone farther in the playoffs last year, but they got the wrong end of a bad call in the in the playoffs. But you got a, you got a playoff team from the big four sports in the Blackhawks. The Bulls weren't good enough to go to Orlando to the bubble, which, thank goodness. And speaking of playoff teams, I think the Cubs and Sox will make the playoffs this year because MLB expanded the playoffs. That better be just for this year. Because if it's beyond this year, I'm going to be really angry. Because it's bad enough they've already got that stupid California international tiebreaker and extra innings. And I have vowed I will not watch an extra inning baseball game this year. Because it is so stupid. But if they expand the playoffs past this year, I'm also going to be angry. But they expanded playoffs to 16 teams. So I think the Cubs and Sox will both be in the playoffs as well. The big question mark about the playoffs will be the Bears. And it's interesting that I bring up the Bears because there was some big Bears news that broke yesterday. It's a sentence 
I really didn't think I'd say. Like, ever. The Bears traded Adam Shaheen and got something for him. I honestly and truly thought they, were, they weren't going to get rid of that guy because he wasn't good. He was a, he, the, the tight end position last year was a hole for the Bears. And people are quick to say, oh, Trubisky, yeah, I can't pass. Okay, I've seen the memes. I know he can't, I know he, he doesn't throw that well. He doesn't make the best decisions in the world. But unless your name is Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, I don't think you can put the blame on the quarterback without tight end position. Because the tight end position with Matt Nagy's offense, it needs to be there. Trey Burton wasn't cutting it. Ben Broniker was not cutting it. Adam Shaheen was not cutting it. J.P. Holtz. Who? Jesper Horstead. Who? You, you see all these names and they, don't have a, they didn't have a tight end. And I don't know where the baby Gronk thing from, for Adam Shaheen came from, but that's, that, that better be a joke. I don't want to hear comparisons to Gronk from Adam Shaheen because the, the, the big difference between Gronk and Shaheen is Rob Gronkowski is good at football. Adam Shaheen is not good at football. It was a blow, another blown draft pick by Ryan Pace. And I really hope that this year is going to be better. I know <laughs> they, they took Jimmy Graham. They got Jimmy Graham in free agency. They overpaid him, but they got Jimmy Graham. And they also drafted Cole Komet, who was my top pick. I wanted the Bears to take Cole Komet, and they did. And they've got Demetrius Harris also, his top three tight ends. And I was reading in The Athletic yesterday, Adam Johns did a piece after the Shaheen trade, which he was just as surprised as all of us that they got something for him. Here's the Bears' tight end depth chart last year. This is last year. In order, Trey Burton, Adam Shaheen, Ben Broniker, Bradley, Bradley Sowell, I think, is how you pronounce that. It was Sowell, but he said Sowell. Ian Bunting, Jesper Horstead, Dax Raymond, and Ellis Richardson. Looking at this year's depth chart. That was the beginning of last year. Here's the beginning of this year. Jimmy Graham, Cole Komet, Demetrius Harris, J.P. Holt, Jesper Horstead, Eric Saubert, and Darian Clark. And Adam Johns writes here, it's quite the overhaul. It is. Trey Burton's gone. He got cut. Shaheen got... I can't believe they got something for Shaheen. <laughs> I about fell over. I was, I was golfing with my dad and brother yesterday. Well... I'll say, depending on your definition of golfing, because I did not play well yesterday. But I got the alert that the Bears traded Shaheen, and I about fell over, because I was so surprised. And Ben Broniker's gone as well. Same with Bradley Sowell, he got cut. And Ian Bunting, I don't even think, made the roster last year. I didn't even, I'd never heard of him. So the highest-ranked tight end was Jesper Horstead. The sixth best tight end on the duck chart is the only one returning this year. Everyone else is gone. And now the joke's about, oh, the Bears have too many tight ends. It's gone. Because the Bears now have seven tight ends on the roster now, which is less than they had at this time last year. We've reached the top of the hour here on WLUW. I'm still going for another ten minutes or so. You're listening to 88.7 FM WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance, usually broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, but currently broadcasting from my home in Dwight, Illinois. 
Again, we got a late start to the show today just to catch you up. We had a couple technical difficulties, but I got the okay to go a little past noon to make sure I got a full hour in. And I'm also recording this as we speak, and I'm going to be podcasting it. So make sure you check out the podcast of the show afterward if you missed anything, or if you just want to listen to me talk for an hour again, it's up to you. Hopefully, hopefully starting next week, I'm going to start having guests on the show. I'm going to start doing interviews. They won't be live interviews because I'm the only one who can talk. But what I'll do is I'll pre-record them and I'll play them on the air for you for your enjoyment. And hopefully it'll be more than just me talking in a clip of Ozzy Guillen on NBC Sports Chicago. But now it's easier to talk about sports because sports are back. Again, baseball is in full force. We got games today in Chicago. Finales of Cubs Brewers and Sox Twins. Both those games go off about 1 o'clock. I think it's 1.10. I've got, I got to get used to no 1.20 first pitches anymore. Because the Cubs aren't on WGN. And neither are the White Sox. So I think it's, I think it's now 1.10, technically, first pitch. But either way, we got baseball in Chicago. Hopefully, you can watch the Cubs games. And if you can't, you're with me. Because... After my Hulu trial is done, I'm probably going to end up just going to the bars to watch games or watch them on Twitter. Like, watch the tweets come in. Well, I have the White Sox game on my TV because I get NBC Sports Chicago. And I can watch their beautiful new set, which I'm so jealous wasn't there when I interned there last year. But it looks really, really good. Basketball comes back this weekend. I've seen a couple of highlights from scrimmages so far. And I'm excited. I know the Bulls aren't in it. Which, I'm not disappointed about that. Trust me. As I just said, I'm not disappointed that the Bulls aren't in it. But the fact that I can watch basketball again, yeah, it's going to be pretty fun. I'm, I'm pretty excited for that. I'm excited to watch hockey, even though the Hawks are not going to get past the first round of the playoffs, because that's the reality. I'm a realist in this sense, and the, the Hawks are not getting past the first round. I don't, I, they're playing the Oilers. I don't think they're going to... They might win a game. But I don't think they're going to get anywhere. I really don't. But there's actually a lot going on now, which is really, I'm excited. I really am. And next week there's going to be even more to talk about because the NBA bubble will be in action and we will be a day after the Hawks' first game in the playoffs. And as I said, hopefully I'll have a guest on with me next week. I've been kind of slacking on that because I'm in quarantine, or I'm not really in quarantine anymore. The stay-at-home order is lifted. But there's still not a lot going on right at the moment. Now there is. But we'll see what happens next week. And hopefully I'll be on the air at 11 again. And again, I apologize for the technical difficulties. We're, we're all good. We're still adjusting to this. We're working from home. And again, it's only my second show from home. And I'm still adjusting to it. I'm adjusting to not having a Duncan near me. It breaks my heart if you know me. I go get my McDonald's coffee. And that's what I have in front of me right now as I work in my dad's office in my hometown of Dwight. So let's look at what's going on in the Cubs games today, who's starting, Cubs and White Sox games today, who are the starting pitchers, who we got going. I've still got a few minutes left to fill, and I've talked about everything I've wanted to. So I'm pulling up today's starters. 
For the White Sox, you got Ronaldo Lopez against Kenta Maeda over a guaranteed rate field. First pitch at 110. Oh, the Cubs do have a 120 first pitch. I'll be darned. It's 120. That's weird. It's Tyler Chatwood against Freddie Peralta. Those are going to be two really good games. And I'll be bouncing back and forth between the two again because it's, it's cool being, caring about both teams in town. Usually the White Sox have been just kind of there in the last few years because they haven't been very good, but now they've got all this young talent, and they're really exciting to watch. And again, take the over. Do not take the under on the White Sox games. I'm not saying I know from experience, but take the over if you're into sports betting. But that's what we got going on today in Chicago sports. And I'm actually going to call it a day now. I guess I'm kind of open-ended on when I can end the show because I'm over an hour anyway. So I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna call it a day. So thank you everyone for listening again next week. Hopefully I'll have a guest. Stay tuned to my Twitter feed, my Facebook. I'll put it out there who I'm having on and everything. And I will talk to you in a week. So you've been listening to the Sunday Sports Shootout on 88.7 FM WLUW. And I will take you back to your independent music. Have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye.